In the study you guys did, um, when did the premise or the idea for the study kind of begin? Because this is a, unusual times we're in and everything just kind of a, it's a different study that I don't think many people thought about too. No. Um, well, for a number of years, for the past two decades, our team, uh, we've been doing a lot of sports injury prevention research, epidemiology, uh, looking at outcomes, how uh, injuries affect kids. But the whole premise that sports injuries and sport participation is not, it's not something so a kid can go shoot a basketball or, or pitch a baseball or, you know, really spike the volleyball will. Uh, these activities are really uh, related to public health. And injuries that take place, whether it's concussion and ankle sprain, all have a public health implication as well, because we know high school athletes, compared to their non-athletic peers, they're more physically active, they have better quality of life, they're more uh, physically fit, they're more likely to be athletic as adults, they have, uh, by and large, uh, emotional traits that lead them to success as adults. So we know that coming in. Now, when this happened, um, we were trying to scramble and look at different ways we could re research what was going on with these kids. And we said, you know, we should really try to measure uh, physical activity, mental health, and quality of life when the schools were shut down, you know, sports were canceled. Because already, for our own purposes, we had collected data on over 5,000 kids and had this data. So we could instantly compare what was happening during the school and sports shutdown versus what took place two or three years ago. And that was a simple premise. Anecdotally, I saw a big change. I don't know what it was like in your situation in Wisconsin. Uh, the uh, closures were initially sold as a, as a two week period to get caught up, you know, make sure the hospitals are aware and the doctors are set to get this crush of patients. Uh, that really didn't happen. And then uh, 10 days later, they said, hey, we're going to extend this out for another two weeks, but don't worry. You know, we're still planning to continue. We're still going to have sports. We're still going to have schools. And then uh, middle of April, they said, hey, everything's canceled. And I saw parents who were saying that uh, their kid was had the, the perception that they could still go back to school or possibly play their sports or senior year, go through graduation. And suddenly it was all taken away. And emotionally, their kids were just a wreck. People talked about they didn't recognize their, their student athletes anymore in their house. And so that's where we said, let's go ahead and measure this. And just going through, I guess, how you guys did the study and everything, what all information or how many, you know, it was over 3,000, correct, that you guys right. had to use? Right. So what we, we did was uh, we, we got standard measures of, uh, of health that clinicians use to treat uh, adolescents or kids. So we know a lot of times when you go into a doctor's office, they'll ask you a series of questions, right? And, you know, how you're doing here, what symptoms do you have? Well, there's some questionnaires that they can give kids and their parents about mental health and asking about do they have these symptoms or that symptoms, how long have you had them? We know the same thing with physical health, how, how active you are. And we also know the same thing with the quality of life, that there's standardized questionnaires that we can give. And based on those scores, can look at and show how a disease or injury or mental state is affecting that athlete. So we use commonly used questionnaires. Anxiety was measured with seven questions. Depression was measured with nine. Was measured with nine. I think there were 10 or 11 physical activity and 22 quality of life questions. And then we just took those scores. Those are all scored with higher scores or lower scores, meeting one or the other. And we, we took those scores and compared them to uh, what we'd seen in the past. And kind of, I have everything with me here, looking through it again. Did the outcome, I guess, when you guys got the results, surprise you on how it was? I mean, you had 40% with mild, but I mean, it was, it's about 25% that was worse than that with, I guess, you know, anxiety yeah. or anything else. I mean, did, 
did the results surprise you coming back? Very much so. And I should say too, we started this in Wisconsin and it was so popular in Wisconsin. We had so many people that heard about it. Physician, you know, with the internet, there are no state borders, right? They don't exist anymore. And we were doing it in Wisconsin and the word was getting out and we were having a hundred kids per hour get online and take our survey. And we thought we should expand it. So we did get 3,000 in Wisconsin, but you also have 10,000 other kids from around the country. So we have a data set of 13,000. And getting back to your point, we always know that uh, there is some level of anxiety or depression in, in kids for a variety of reasons. Some people blame uh, the pressures of living there. Some people blame social media, uh, the fact they have a computer system in their hand all the time that they can instantly check and see what's going on. I'm not going to get into that. I'm just saying we know that there's always some level. We were very surprised because for uh, uh, the mental health and depression surveys, they can be scored from a zero to 21 or zero to 27. And I, our child psychiatrist said anybody that scores above a five would be somebody that I would say would need some sort of assistance, would need some professional help. And while it's usually like less than 10% of the kids are in that range, we found that two thirds of the kids were falling in that range where they would require some sort of intervention. And like you said, to have 25 or 30% of these kids with moderately to severe anxiety or moderately to severe depression is really stunning. And it's important to know that these issues are not a one-off. It's not that, hey, we're gonna take care of this and we're gonna do a little intervention and get better. We know we can do it with physical activity. For example, we know with physical activity that uh, we can have kids following an injury, they're not physically active, their scores are very low, but in a matter of weeks as they recover, their activity goes way up and it can recover quite quickly. Uh, mental health aspects are different. The child psychiatrists I work with talk about if they see somebody, or they said a lot of the issues in adulthood can be traced to something that happened as a youth or adolescent. And that these aren't situations where it's just gonna be a one-off. You know, We're gonna just uh, get back and, and these issues are gonna go away. Uh, these people said these are going to be manifested itself with kids being less likely to want to be in school, interact with peers, interact with teachers, interact with their parents. Uh, we, uh, they also said this is more likely to lead to more opioid use, alcohol use in the coming years as these kids are adolescents or as adults. And said it can affect whether they form meaningful relationships in adulthood or, or have a meaningful career that it's not just a simple, this is gonna go away. If, you know, let, let's go back and start school and sports. We've, we've created an issue here that's gonna take quite a while to unravel. And I just wanna make sure I have this right. O on the chart I'm looking at, that's just Wisconsin or is that all 13,000? So what I've given you is the Wisconsin summary data. Okay. Uh, we, we did look at, uh, and in fact, we're writing up the paper as we speak. In our data, um, whether it's Kansas and Missouri kids, kids in the West, uh, at West Coast, East Coast, the patterns we saw in Wisconsin are duplicated everywhere. The only other thing we're seeing that we did with our national data set is we looked at some of the socioeconomic indicators like poverty levels, et cetera, and it really reinforces that, that if you're from an affluent county, a uh, county with uh, lower levels of poverty, you're not impacted to the same degree that the kids in the higher, excuse me, in, in counties with higher percentages of poverty. And so this idea, like I would say, I think the biggest myths, politicians, sport figures, bureaucrats have told us we're all in this together. We're all in this together. We're not. We're absolutely not. The most at-risk kids are going to be hurt the most from uh, the school closures and sport cancellations. And I'm, I'm really telling people, you know, you really need to look at, um, you can debate what we did was right or wrong, but now moving forward, we have to have a plan. Um, 
you know, are we going to continue to exacerbate these symptoms or are we going to try to mitigate this with strategies, getting in schools part-time? There are some sports that could be going. We know, for example, Iowa played their high school baseball and softball season with minimal disruptions. I know a lot of the people I know have had their kids playing summer sports with minimal problems. I think there's a model moving forward with school districts and school sports as well. I know I've talked to a lot of school district officials and they're trying to figure out what to do at, at this point and like everybody else is, but talking to coaches too, um, kind of what you alluded to a little bit ago about, you know, they may not want to go back to school. Either they don't play, coach kind of feels like they may not come to school because they, they go to school for football exactly. because they're going to be farmers or they're going to tech school. They don't, I don't want to say they don't care, but it may come down to that. It's it's about sports. Is that something that you guys kind of yeah? And anecdotally, we're seeing some of those issues in Wisconsin as well. The urban centers, uh, they're feeling this. Uh, if you talk to the school board presidents, the physicians in the rural areas of Wisconsin, it's a much different picture. And they were talking about how um, their kids may have to drive 20 minutes to go to uh, get a Wi-Fi hotspot where they could do their online learning. It's just not a possibility. In that case, with low infection rates, et cetera, they're feeling it'd be better to get back in school and get these kids some structure, get these kids some things going on in their life. That Exactly. I think even uh, the best teachers I spoke to recently have talked about that even the kids, the higher achieving kids, the AP classes in some of the public schools, they were down to a 20 to 30% participation rate in a matter of weeks. So these kids had checked out. So I could see kids that said, hey, high school is minimally effective for me anyways. I could see them checking out earlier if we keep along that road. What else did, what else did you guys learn through this process? Because, I mean, I, I think this is really fascinating. Just kind of – I don't think we thought about this. I mean, obviously, the pandemic was about public health at the time, like with right. the virus. But I don't think we thought about this side of it for kids because – Everything's shown us that kids aren't affected as much with the virus, but right. we have this whole other realm now that we're seeing. There's, there's a lot of misinformation out there. I said there was, there was good information in Europe coming out in Europe in April that's showing school cancellations or closures would have minimal impact on infection rates. Um, so that was interesting that we embraced something that, that may not have been effective. And since then, it's interesting to hear like the American Academy of Pediatrics saying, you know, the benefits of getting back in outweigh the risks. Um, I think in some ways we've created a lot of fear now. Uh, I talked to teachers that in May were saying, I'm ready to go back. We need to get back. And now they've been online and listening to their cohorts. And now they think uh, it's going to be very, very risky to go back, even though the data doesn't support that. I've talked to, young, I talked to a young coach in particular that's 29 years old who has a five-year-old starting school. And uh, her perception of the risk to her, her son starting in kindergarten or herself was way out of line from what, what was actually happening. I think also in terms of, you know, did we perceive this or not? Uh, if I had a public health expert tell me years ago that, that anything we do, any intervention, it's not about prevention. It's about trading. And anything we do, we can trade one set of ris uh, risks for a different set of, of outcomes. And that can make sense. Some cases, those chains, those risks and rewards are very simple to discuss and, and easy to make those decisions. This is different than that. You know, um, we're trading maybe safety for a percentage of the population with some health comorbidities or age related or things like that and putting at risk a much larger population of young people <laughs> that we could be setting up to fail for a long time. Um, it's not that I don't, I don't believe anybody wants to do that, 
but we are making those trades. And as I talked to one school administrator who specifically said, I don't want to have to make that trade. I don't want to trade the health of the elderly people in my community for the health and well-being of my young students. I said, well, you are. If you're closing schools and canceling sports, you are making that trade. You may want to not want to think it, but that is it. So there are no easy answers. Everybody has to do it. I, I tell people to, it's not going to be a national policy or statewide policy. It's going to be by county, you know, regions of the area of the country that are affected to a greater degree. They're going to be more cautious. Uh, and that's to be expected. I think if I'm a parent or a coach that doesn't feel comfortable sending my kid or, or being in school situation, I think they need to step back. But I think we also need to recognize and give the opportunity to people that are willing to accept a small level of risk and move forward. I guess kind of just looking at the, all this again, it's kind of going through some of the stuff. Did you guys maybe expect the minimal or none to be higher on, on the yes. guess, effect on this? Yes, all these. Because again, it, when we've done this in Wisconsin, where we looked at athletes for the number of issues, it's it, it, that can be as high as 70, 80, 90% have minimal or no issues with mental health. And the fact that it's flipping quite a bit right now, is it's incredible uh, that we know that. I do also think too in our national data in terms of uh, what we're seeing, uh, we also saw a big difference between the male and the females, that the males were, were reporting higher scores for everything. They, they had fewer mental health issues. They were more physically active and higher quality of life than the females. Some of that is to be expected. We've seen that in other studies as well before the pandemic. Um, but we're also looking at now the type of sports participated that, that we now in our larger data set, the seniors are, were affected to a greater degree. And that could be they were more emotionally bought into the fact, these are my last two months of school and it's gone away. And now I don't even know if I'm gonna to go to college. I had plans to go to college, now that's on hold, all those other things. Um, and I think we also looked at too, how the sport participation played a role, that kids that could participate in their sport to some degree outside the school setting. So uh, I know in Wisconsin, if you were a tennis player or a golfer, you could probably get out and play in your county and do those things. But if you're a baseball or softball player, you were prohibited from doing those things because those were team activities that would had this much higher, supposedly greater risk. And we're finding that when we compare the scores of those two groups, the kids that could go out and do their own individual sport outside of school had a higher quality of life and did better than the kids that were in the team sports, which indicates we know there's a school, you know, some of this is related to school, but the school and sport factor is impacting the kids in the team sports. The kids that could go out and golf, we didn't see those effects to the same degree. So I think that's an important issue. Like it's part of its school, part of its sports and some of it's all together. And uh, just kind of, I guess, looking at the Kansas, I, I saw that uh, chart. I mean, it's probably been about a week or so ago. Sure. It, it lines up pretty much with what you guys saw initially in Wisconsin too, right? Yes, exactly. Um, and by state level, region level from, you know, we didn't see a lot of difference between what we found in Wisconsin. That's why I said that we released uh, the Wisconsin summary report in part because we had testified at our state legislature. So we made this available to our state legislators for, to make decisions moving forward. So anything, like I said, if I'm in Kansas, if I'm a parent in Kansas or Missouri or anywhere, um, if you look at our data, it's very similar to what you, you're seeing in your own state. You talked about some states were wanting you, the data you guys had. Some didn't, some right. did. Right. Uh, why do you think some of them were wanting more information from what you guys did? I don't know. Um, I don't know if, uh, if uh, they were more aware or wanted to do it. I know we had contacted every state association that this was going forward. And I know the National Federation of High Schools was putting out word on their website and links to the study. Um, it's just 
some state offices bought in and some didn't. Uh, you know, I'm not going to point fingers, you know, look at in April, May, there's a lot of things going on in this country there. I could somebody say, gee, no, I got to pass an email on or something like that. I, I don't, I don't blame these people for doing it, but I do know um, some of the schools and, and, and states really embraced this and said, we want this to go to everybody and we're going to make sure every administrator and every athletic director knows this. And we saw the response rates grow up dramatically for those states, states that, that were minimally interested. We may only had 40 or 50 kids answer it, but a, a state that said, we're really going to push this, they would get a thousand kids from their, their state answering our survey for us. It's hard to know why. Um, I just say there's a lot of things going on. <laughs> six weeks ago, like there is now, um, to go ahead. So they probably had other priorities too at that time. Anything else you'd like to add too, sir? No, I just think, I hope, uh, we make these decisions moving forward in a, in a good way. And I think, uh, I think there's a way to move forward. Like I tell, what's your optimistic goal? I think there's a way to protect our most vulnerable populations, whether they be elderly, immunocompromised, sick in some way. I think there's a way to protect those individuals in our communities and still give opportunities for young people to get out and play baseball or softball or kick a soccer ball or run cross country. I firmly believe that with some a little bit of planning and modification, I think we can come to that consensus that we can do those type of things.